Hello there and welcome back to The Disconnected. I am here with Andrew and Steven of Chasing Labels, one of my favorite boutique label podcasts. Andrew, Steven, how are we doing tonight? Lovely. Doing good. Just lovely. Uh, we're a fan of your fan of your show and uh, I'm, I'm glad we're finally able to, to talk with you and, and get on here. It's only been since, uh, my watch says nine years we've been trying to get in contact with each other Dude, it's... and it's nice we could do it. It's, you know, it's, we're busy people. We're both, we're both, we both have kids. I mean, at least me and you, I know Andrew doesn't have any kids. I have all the but, time in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of my fault. It's my fault. I had a kid and this only happened in the last year. So the other eight years, other eight years, I don't know what happened, but you know, yeah. I love how on the same page we all are. Cause I was about to ask Andrew if we were just going to blame all of this on Steven, but <laughs> I guess, I mean, you're already under the bus. So just stay there. It's what I do. It's, what I, it's what I do. Cause he runs everything. Uh, he's he's the producer behind everything. So, like, if anything bad happens, it's all on him. It's all on him. Well, Andrew, you got a raw <laughs> deal then, because in the contract, it should say that the producer can't have kids. Like, that's that's obvious. <laughs> I know. I have yeah. to be flexible. I know kid clause. I guess. That well, we don't we that. don't need to hear about the the making kids process. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Stephen. <laughs> I. You don't have to be flexible to do that. <laughs> there's other ways. Uh, if you've seen Don't Breathe, there's other ways. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a reference. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that's how I did it. I'm not saying that's how I did it. I'm just saying there's other ways. So first uh, of all, Chasing yeah. Labels. For those that have never listened, what is Chasing Labels? Uh, should I do this? or? Andrew? Oh, yeah, please. Oh, oh, well. Okay, so, so you know, me and Andrew, uh, we've been podcasting together for, what, about four or five years now? It's about four years, yeah, since 2018. Yeah, wow. so we started out doing a show called The Cinema Discovery Project, which all that stuff's still available. You can still get it on our feed. But we uh, we met through a friend, uh, Dan Skip Allen, who we've had on as a guest before. He's a critic, film critic. And we did shows with him called The Top 5 Weekly, which where we talked about, like, you know, a lot of, you know, random conversations about and doing top five lists and things for different subjects. And uh, through that, me and Andrew became really good friends, had a lot of the same similar tastes. And so we started a show called The Cinema Discovery Project, where it was a very broad thing where we kind of talked about whatever we wanted to talk about. It went through different iterations. So we got to a point where we started talking about like one movie each week. I got kind of bored of that. And I was in a transition of moving into this house. And, um, I told Andrew, I was like, you know what? Let's do something new. Um, we both love collecting. That's all we do when we're not doing the show was talk about blue, what Blu-rays we were getting. And um, I was like, so why aren't we just doing a show talking about this stuff? We spend all our time doing it, talking about it. Let's just do that. Talk about the new announcements. Get it, get get people pumped for them. And uh, yeah, and that's that's the simple story of it. We just finally made clear what we needed to do a podcast about which is things that we already talked about. And uh yeah, and Cinema Discovery Project, we did like how 72 many episodes? 70 something episodes, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, one of uh, I think one of our last episodes. Oh my goodness. What was the one we of the did, last uh, we, we, we did? talked about Ugetsu. Ugetsu I think was the last episode we did because yeah. we were at that point we were doing one movie a week and kind of breaking it down like beat by beat and just talking about the context and all the stuff behind it. And each week we would pick a different movie. We wouldn't tell each other what the movie was. Um, oh, well, so we had to, we of, had to watch it. Well, we wouldn't <laughs> tell each other like until we made the, the announcement. Sure. You know, yeah. Yeah. Each week episode. we would, we would surprise each other with, we would surprise movie. each other yeah. with that. But then yeah. yeah, Steven came up with the idea of like talking about Blu-ray releases, talking about collecting, talking about collecting habits. Um, and, you know, 
it, I mean, I didn't come up with the idea. Don't give no, me that credit. You, you pitched it like, should we talk about this <laughs> stuff? You know? Yeah. And I was like, I mean, we kind of already do it anyways. Both of us had, you know, been collecting for years. So it was part of our lives very inherently. And we decided that, yeah, we should just start doing it. And I didn't realize at the time how popular that subject is. You know, how there is a lot of people who collect and a lot of people want to hear about other people collecting and a lot of people want to talk about collecting and all this kind of stuff. It was it, it was much more, it, it was a much bigger community than people just wanted to talk about movies in general. And so that's kind of how it started. And that when and we started that, like what was it like April of 2020, March of 2020, yeah. somewhere yeah, yeah. around there, Something right like in that. the right right like after the thing shut down, pandemic started. I mean, perfect lucky, time. Yeah, perfect enough, time. Yeah. <laughs> lucky enough, Stephen and I are distant anyway, so everything was done, you know, well, digitally and remotely. So, well, and the thing is, for me though, I mean, like my lifestyle didn't really change in the sense of like I didn't stay at home. I had to keep working. I work uh, for Pepsi, so nobody stopped going to the grocery stores. Um, so I kept working through the whole thing, and thank God I I I've, I haven't gotten sick that I'm aware of. Um, right, and yeah, it's, so of all the things that stayed open were grocery stores and the hospitals, pretty much, and you yeah. know, police, fire, and all that kind of stuff too. So. Yeah, and then we kind of launched through there, and then we're in our what second calendar year. This is almost year? our two, second full year this coming. Yeah, so we're going into our third year when we get to March. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Can't so, uh, Stephen works for Pepsi. Andrew, is does this pay all of your bills? Uh, no, no, no. I don't. <laughs> I don't see a dime from any of this. Um, I do this all for the love of love of the game, love of the movies. I mean, I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about these releases anyway. I might as well talk about them uh, with other people (laughs) (laughs) might as well i might as well just get it out there and just you know do it anyways because you know for the longest time there's not a lot of people you talk about and you know along the way as everybody knows you know life changes people grow apart people change friendships evolve and whatnot and then you know the people you used to hang out and buy movies and talk movies with, you know, you just grow distant over time or whatever changes. So you don't really have that camaraderie anymore. So you got to branch out. And I guess yeah, the internet and the social media world, while its reputation is terrible, sometimes you do find a few diamonds in the rough. Um, so, yeah. I guess we're diamonds, Ryan. <laughs> you are diamonds to me, at least. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that question at the beginning was mostly uh, in jest because obviously we all, the three of us at least, know this can't pay any bills in any foreseeable future. Um, I have people still that ask me, like, wait, are you like on the verge of being able to make this full time yet? And it's some people really don't understand how much this just plain doesn't pay. Uh, yeah, it really doesn't. I've got that same question where, like, do you get paid for podcasting? And I'm like, no, 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 to be honest, no, the only, I, yeah. a lot of the stuff, I mean, a lot of the people who do make this a full-time thing, they have massive followers. We're talking like, you know, millions of people maybe listen, yeah. hundreds of thousands. You get big, you, you have to get big, um, you Sponsor. know, supporters they, they and have sponsors. sponsors on their shows. And yeah, yeah you've got to have like backing from some something somewhere do, giving you money to do it. Other than that, it's kind of like how YouTube uh is you know if you're not big especially now you don't really get paid anymore you know it's not even like the youtube partner thing was a thing where people were making ad revenue now it's not the way it used to be and all that stuff 
And podcasting world is kind of going the way of YouTube where there's so many people doing it. So the, the you really got to find your foothold in, in, in an audience somewhere. And if you don't, you know, you're just kind of talking to the wind. And, and most of the time, it seems like the names that are able to make money are names that you already know, basically. And uh, sadly, Stephen and Andrew and myself are not celebrities, so we are not making any money from this and likely never will. Well, we can do it, man. We're, we're on our way there. We're on our way there. Just Let's just give it another 20 years. Another 20 years. That's another a good 20 point. years. Yeah. Just uh, a small I, amount of time. I do want to bring up something that you just referenced because this whole community is sort of like self-referential. It seems like there are a lot of people that are into films, therefore get into physical media, and some of them, therefore, get into podcasting or YouTubing, or some of them, therefore, get into starting a label, or some of them, therefore, get into making movies. There's all kinds of different ways that this hobby begets other people in this hobby. So what what, what was your general path, Andrew? What, what Did you... You know, did you start by wanting to make a podcast? Obviously not. So how did you get into film? No, I mean, uh, it's very fortuitous that I met Stephen, who has a lot of, um, a lot of, he's a, he's a very motivated individual to get me to do this. I don't think I would have ever started it by myself had he not started it. Um, just because, you know, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of motivation, a lot of know-how, really. Like the, te the technical aspect of it is always, I think, the most difficult part. The recording, the editing, all, keeping up with all that is always the toughest. For me, I actually had started a YouTube channel myself in 2016 called Cabzilla Productions. And it was about doing movie reviews like everybody else was doing on YouTube. Still does. Going to the, movie every, going to the movies every week, reviewing the newest stuff coming out. Um, sometimes review i started off reviewing tv and i realized no one cared about that uh so i switched to movies and i did that from 2016 through 2019 and i ended i think the last review i ever did was 1917 the uh sam mendes film nice. and and i ended in like january of 2020 uh not knowing that uh everything would pretty much shut down three months later so <laughs> so no there would be no movies for a while after that anyway right but I did that like every week I'd go, um, you know, Thursday nights or Friday nights, you know, to the, to, to watch a new movie. And then I'd come home, you know, shoot a review maybe that night or several days, edit it. Um, and then I did that for a long time. I think I did like over a couple of hundred of those over time, I think. Um, and then I switched and then I decided I just wanted to concentrate on doing reviews of, you know, like Blu-rays box sets stuff like that and then i did that um on capsula productions for uh up until we changed to chasing labels youtube page recently so i did that for about a year yeah a year and a half two years something like that and yeah and then and then we when we switched over to, to making it chasing labels you know just continue that trend onward and then that was kind of the whole thing it took me a long time to kind of get up the motivation get up the the uh the courage to go on camera because it's not an easy thing especially if you're someone who has a lot of anxiety who sure. doesn't have a lot of you know a positive self-esteem where seeing yourself on screen hearing yourself isn't is an obstacle to overcome in and of itself i don't know how people could still do it so easily on youtube but they feel so natural about it that's something i don't think i'll ever get used to uh, no matter how many times i do this still extremely nervous before and during a show no matter it's what it's almost worse 
when you have to do videos by yourself because you only oh, yeah. hear yourself uh, when you're, you know, it, it can be nerve wracking talking to a bunch of people that you don't know, but they're at least, at least you're not alone just hearing your own self. And that's, that, that that's always been hard for me. I've tried YouTube in the past and uh, never could really get myself motivated as well because just sitting in a room with a camera looking at you with no feedback is not really my style. Like um, everything I've done when it comes to like, things is usually doing it with other people or with an audience and so um yeah i mean it's it's tough man i i understand i mean yeah. the youtube channel has hasn't really been something we've been able to focus on a lot uh we want to but uh i understand not being able to get really motivated because it's a lot of work to to put into that on top of what we already do every week right. where you're where you're trying to watch yeah, but, things to be able to have good context for the no. audience and um, I think you know. both fortunate for us is the podcast really has taken, you know, you know, has become and not it's not gigantic or anything like that. I'm not going to overblow it, but it is. You don't you know, know the stats. I know the yeah, stats. Yeah, that's Nothing. true. I don't know the stats. <laughs> I mean, for all I know, there could be a million views every episode. Who knows? I, you'll never I, know. I'll never know. But That's I don't in the next get, segment. I'm getting him to share the screen and just. Yeah. It, by the way. Thank you. Maybe I'll finally <laughs> figure it out. Uh, but it's it, it's becoming not a full time thing, but you've got to keep up with uh, the news of just what's going on. You know, yeah. there's movie you know announcements that happen every single week now. A lot of them hit you all at once. A lot of them seem to hit on later on in the week, right before you're about to actually record an episode. So you got to get all frantic, get all the details in your head. Um, and then there's all kind of logistics and stuff like that. So you got to keep up with all of that. And you want to watch these movies to be relatively informed of what you're saying, or else you're just listing off a bunch of random movies that you have no context of and you're not giving your audience any worthwhile information at all. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of telling them what they can already look up on on an on an announcement sheet on blu-ray.com anyway of course uh, so there's a lot that goes into it but for me you know over time you know things have evolved for me doing things by myself to things doing things with steven and then of course you know with chasing labels now uh, but i've been a big fan of just the kind of the youtube movie collector scene or just looking up people talking about movies and whatnot since like the late 2000s when youtube was in its relevant infancy so it took me a long time to kind of get up the motivation to do it myself. Um, but I know that Steven has his kind of YouTube uh, origins as well. Oh, you don't want to hear about that. Oh, well, that's how, we I got, that's how I kind of met him. So, yeah. Nah, it's okay. No, okay. Uh, so so there was a time – I'm not even going to try to think of when it happened, what year. But, uh, you know, some years before I met Andrew, I um, – there's a – funny enough, there's a, there's a group on Facebook called – film club it's just a huge group called film club it's got like thousands of members in it and the person that started that group lives in my area and so we realized we live near each other and so we hooked up and i said you know this was you know i was wanting to start a youtube channel and i was like okay you know there's a lot of people in this group realistically not everybody you know is like participating in this group all the time but there's a good amount of people in here and so i was like I talked with with this guy. His name's Carl Champion Jr. By the way, he did he. Uh, and so I was like, "Hey, you want you want to start a like a, a weekly show where we talk about you know new releases and kind of do like the roundtable kind of thing where we talk movies and talk about different topics." And so yeah, we did it. And 
my friend uh, who has a recording studio uh, that I also do, I did a lot of music stuff for shooting music videos and things uh, allowed us to use his studio as a, as a base, you know? So we kind of did a Wayne's world thing. We set up uh, a desk. Um, we had, you know, I was one of the, I was one of the hosts. Um, and then we had usually two or three other people at the desk and we had a three camera setup. And then we did the whole thing. We did a whole, you know, show where we just talked about a lot of different film things. Um, and then uh, along with that, we started to want to flex our filmmaking uh, things. So we turned the crew and the people in the show into kind of like characters like The Office, where we it was all comedy stuff and it was all influenced by film. So there were there was one episode where we kind of made fun of Tarantino things. Kind of there was one where we we did like a Christmas special and. One of our guys was playing Ash from Evil Dead, and he was kind of like the ghost of Christmas Ash was the name of that episode. And, you know, he he's kind of playing the ghost that's like it, – it's a whole thing. But we did a lot of things that were like inspired by films we loved, and we did little sketches that were all guerrilla-style filmmaking. And, you know, I would say here's where you can go watch it, but we actually recently got taken down off YouTube um, probably about six months ago. I, I realized that eventually that – our whole channel got taken down because there was a few videos that they deemed inappropriate. So they just took down the whole thing. Um, but I'm, I, I have everything and I'm thinking I'm going to re-upload it all. Um, so weird. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I'm, I'm curious. What are some of the things that originally got you guys into film itself, not just speaking on it? Because as we stated, you know, a lot of this is self-referential and not every hobby has that. Like sports, obviously, you could be a big fan of like the Kansas City Chiefs and then go listen to people talk about the Chiefs every day for your life. The the whole Blu-ray side is kind of like that already. But to get into that, you have to like film to begin with. So uh, maybe some of the formidable films in your lives there. Um, I would say for me, um, you know, some of the things that come to mind are, are some of the early Disney or early Pixar things like Toy Story. Toy Story was definitely one that, um, you know, I had the hard, hard shell cases. My parents would get me the, the awesome big hard shell cases. I think I still have a few of them, um, because I just couldn't let them go. Um, my parents tried to give them away in yard sales and I said, what the hell is this? Why is this in here? And I'd just take them back and put them in my, my car or something. And uh, I would say Toy Story is one of them. Uh, Jurassic Park's definitely another one. Um, my favorites. Yeah, one of the, one of the best ones. Um, and then maybe something – I would say when it came to filmmaking, where filmmaking started to really uh, come into my mind, is The Matrix. Um, the Matrix was one where I looked at the movie and I was like, how did they do that? I mean, of course, Jurassic Park was, is, is another one where like the effects are amazing for – and they still look great, um, but I was still a, a little young then. And but when the Matrix came out, I was like, "Dude, this is awesome!" And I want to know how they did it. Right. So um, that them three are three films that I look back on fondly and still love them, and um, still you know just are ones I I, I can't wait to show my daughter um, because they're they're just they they to me they show all three of them films show different sides of film that are all wonderment. And uh, just great examples of just good storytelling and good effects and good, just everything we love about kind of the larger scope of cinema. So it's a good Andrew. call. Yeah. Andrew, are you lost? I know I'm here. 
I'm here. <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm just, I was just uh, waxing poetically about uh, your origins. Um, but for me, a lot of it is, I think, not ununique to a lot of people's love of movies all started with uh, at a very young age of watching movies not only at home via VHS, um, uh, depending on how old you are, sometimes you meet people who don't know what a VHS is. Uh, but uh, it started off with VHS when I was a little kid. Things like, you know, the Disney clamshell cases that Steve were just talking about. But I was watching like Cinderella, Little Mermaid, Jungle Book, um, Rescuers, Rescuers Down Under, a lot of that early... Um, uh, the early Golden Age stuff and then the pre-Golden Age Disney stuff a lot when I was a kid. But then also a lot of live action. I don't know what it was with a lot of people growing up in our era. We got we got introduced to a lot of live action stuff very early on. Yeah. Like I remember um, having, still have it somewhere, the VHS of uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, Kevin Costner himself. Uh, I remember watching that at like three, four years old. Um you know, a lot of other formative stuff I watched uh, where I had the VHSs of Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3. I had the VHSs of all the Indiana Jones movies, the VHSs of all the Star Wars films. Um, I had the VHS, of course, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is one of my favorite. I've watched that first film incessantly throughout my life and had all the VHS tapes. I think I saw the third film in the theater like three times when I was a kid. I think I saw like Lion King three times when I was a kid in the theater, and then there were, there were of course the live action action movies of the '90s: Independence Day, um, Armageddon, Men in Black. Um, I saw I saw one of my earliest remembrances is seeing Batman Returns in the theater, and we arrived late, and the the movie had already started to the point where the yeah, you know the clowns were were attacking Gotham City. And we walked in the middle of that scene, and then I saw, I saw. Oh, what else did I see? More combat. You don't have to say, have to say your whole history, man. Oh, I'm dude. saying it all. No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting interviewed. I might as well say it all. <laughs> but I'm just saying there was a lot of combination of watching at home, watching in the theater, being taken to the theater every week by, you know, a parent, you know, a dad or an uncle, and taking being taken to Blockbuster for renting movies by a dad or an uncle. You know, a lot of things like that. And that's kind of where the origin of my love of movies started. Um, and then, it, and I had a big VHS collection as a kid. You know, I was one of the fortunate ones that were, I guess, my parents were able to afford that. Nice. The uh, the, the mention of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, that is uh, unabashedly one of my most famous, uh, uh, people will say guilty pleasures, but I don't believe there's any such thing as a guilty pleasure. I adore that damn movie. And when they announced that coming from Arrow this year in 4K, I legitimately almost shed a tear. It is such a coming coming around full circle moment for me. And the moment I get that in hand, I am watching the hell out of that entire disc front to back. I cannot wait. Thanks I'm for just gonna that I'm up. just gonna enjoy my snapper case uh, version of it. <laughs> oh goodness, <I'm> <laughs> snapper case! I yeah, we're not. I, we haven't gotten to the collecting part of our lives yet, but snapper cases, man. Talk about early DVDs. Just, no, no, <laughs> I, 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 I lied. I'm going to buy the Arrow version and just put it all in my snapper case. Oh, oh nice. God. Is that a diss? Is that a shove diss? up the poster and shove it inside? Yeah, yeah and just shove it the edges. I'm going oh, keep that. Awesome. I'm, keep, I'm keeping that snapper case. Well, I mean, let's get into it because that's the perfect way to juxtapose what got you into film. Uh, we're all about pretty close to the same age. How how do you think your film tastes have changed from around you know 95 ish to what is going on in 2022? And uh, how is that affecting what you're collecting? 
Oh, man. Well, I I'll say this right off the bat that I, I give a lot of credit to Andrew for helping me broaden my tastes. Um, nice. Our, yeah, our friendship um, helped. It, it definitely helped uh, clear my clear get my vision clear to the boutique label area. You know, like I had things, but I didn't really know what I had. Like I had criterions in my already, you know, relatively small Blu-ray collection and um, things like, you know, it was stuff that you that I was aware of, like Stanley Kubrick's The Killing and stuff, you know, stuff like that. Like I was like directors that I was aware of. So right. um, I had that stuff. And then as me and Andrew spent more and more time, you know, doing, you know, videos together and just watching more films for various videos, um, it just, you know, it it got me to a point. And, and, and I think what it was is that I had so much of the mainstream stuff that I was like. I don't want to collect this anymore. Like right. I'm ready to collect more th things that I've never heard. Of. I want to learn more things that I've never about that. I've never seen. So now we start doing, you know, we get closer up to when we start doing this podcast and now I'm discovering even more labels like vinegar syndrome and, and Severin. And they're just, they're the, they're the, to me, the labels that are really going to open your mind up to just a whole other side of cinema. Um, and, um, since since then i mean it's just I, anything's fair play for me um I, I i say this all the time on the podcast that um you know we don't you know we, you should never you know we we, we I, th I think we i treat my I like to treat my pot my my collection like more of a library it's more of me trying to gather as much of the spectrum as possible sometimes there's things in my collection that i don't necessarily think are great but if they have historical value, I want them in my collection. Yeah. Um, and that's important to me because I think one day, even if I don't watch it, right, even if I have to buy something today and I don't watch it for five years from now, it's going to be important to me then too. It's not, it's not, there's not a change. So yeah. um, I just, I, I do, I give Andrew a lot of credit for helping me realize that, um, that there was more than just what we were seeing in theaters. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, my tastes are basically just wide open. I, I'm still learning new things every day. Um, you know, but you know, we had Andrew Furtado on the other day talking about category three films, you know, and I'm like, I've heard of it, but I'm not really looked into it and learned a whole lot of new things there. Um, right. so it's, it's wide open <clears throat> guys. So throw, throw stuff at me, people. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, what, what about yourself? How's oh, everything man. changed? It, it's, uh, I don't want to go on too much of a diatribe as I tend to do. Um, for me, it, it it things have changed massively over the years. I would say within the last ten years or so, things have changed incredibly much in terms of my taste, in terms of my collecting habits. I, even my collecting habits over the last three years have changed mightily. But for me, um, you know, I didn't start collecting DVDs until I actually got to college in about two thousand and six, seven, eight that area where I started collecting DVDs, where I started. Um, browsing the, the shelves at, at FYE stores and Best Buys and all that kind of stuff. And I started collecting then. And it, it was me just kind of listening to what people were saying, coincidentally, on YouTube about the way they collected. I kind of modeled my collecting habits on them, finding the best editions, the special editions, uh, understanding the difference between full screen and widescreen was something I didn't know. 
you know, that's basic stuff, you know, things like yep. aspect ratios and whatnot, the un- understanding, you know, the difference between analog versus digital, you know, stuff like that. And then, of course, HD would come later on with Blu-ray in a, you know, in the late 2000s, around 2009, where I started transitioning from DVD to Blu-ray. But for my taste specifically, it really, it really changed mightily in about 2011 when I started. I took a film course, which was like the, it was like introductory to film like um like the beginning to some some type of time and it was during that film course where i started to learn about different eras of of film history i started to learn about silent era uh and then when talkies took over i started to learn about 1930s gangster films i started to learn about film noir i started to learn about foreign cinema italian neorealism the french new wave um, I started to learn about, you know, the Swedish films of uh, Bergman and stuff like that. And then I also started to learn about British cinema. I didn't realize that uh, Great Britain had its whole history of cinema different than the U.S. You know, I didn't realize that, you know, that certain directors had immigrated from Europe over here and had created their own styles. I didn't realize any of that uh, until I had kind of opened my mind to foreign cinema and also Japanese cinema, Kurosawa, Ozu. Uh, a lot of the other ones, um, you know, watching Seven Samurai for the first time is just mind-boggling experience because it's like this three-hour journey is just amazing. And they made this in 1954. You know, how can someone do something like this? Right. Um, also learning about a lot of kind of modern independent cinema. Um, the whole, like, Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, Steven Soderbergh, that whole era of filmmakers, how... You know, there's so much richness in the history of cinema and it's all out there for us to find now more than ever because of DVD, because of now Blu-ray and now 4K that, you know, we have access to it now more than we've ever had. So I was like, I got to see everything. I want to see it all. And so over the last 10 years, my my change has switched to getting more foreign films, learning more about foreign films. And then over the last three years or so, pretty much at the start of the, the pandemic, has been boutique label heavy. I Before then, I had bought things like Criterion I was collecting for years. I started at like the Barnes & Noble sale in like 2011. And then I, you know, go there religiously every year. It's a holiday for me. Uh, every year I go there and film and, and see what they got and whatnot, buy a bunch of titles, go bankrupt, you know, the usual stuff. Usual. And, and then and, uh, there was one time where Steven and I had like an arms race it's like who could buy more in a month and but it got to the point where i bought way more than i i already owned way more than steven so like i would buy 25 titles steven would buy like 40 or whatever back, I, <laughs> back years ago i think that i think that my best month and this was might have been the month we're talking about i think i i spent like it was definitely over a thousand dollars in a month Ooh. in criterions it, it was in that it was like it was like 50 titles in the month yeah, it will, and it will, and it was at the time where Stephen and I had first met, and Stephen yeah. didn't know about you know all of these great movies that were put out by these boutique labels, specifically Criterion, the whole backlog of stuff. They you know they've got what nearly twelve hundred titles in their catalog now. Yep. You know it's massive, and they've and they've been releasing movies since the eighties, and he didn't know about that, so he was playing kind of catch up at the time. Yeah. And I was also, I was, I'm also addicted to it. So yeah, know, he just, also got really addicted to it, and, really and, and that's another part of collecting. 
there would be times where you would get kind of a, uh, I, I got addicted to hunting for movies, going out, going to the stores, looking through dusty shelves at used movie stores, trying to like find these diamonds in the rough or find things for cheap or find things that are out of print. Um, I spent a lot of the 2010s doing that. A lot of Saturday nights after the mainstream stores closed, the used stores would stay open for an extra hour. So I would go, I would, we had a chain here called Movie Stop. Similar to GameStop, same same type of you know. Very premise. original, very original. Yeah, very. I think it was the same company, <laughs> but they closed like all their locations at least up here, a few, like five years ago or so. But I spent many a nights there, um, just looking through stuff because they had just shelves of stuff, not in a, not in any real order. <laughs> you just have to <laughs> dig. You just go digging, and you never knew what you fought, what you, what you could find. And that was at the time where I was still like. You know, finding if it was on DVD or if it was a Blu-ray, I didn't quite care as long as the price was right um, uh, or the find was right. And I found some gems, found some real good gems at the time. But unfortunately now, the landscape has changed to the point where I can't really go out and do the, do that type of hunting anymore. Uh, but I do miss it uh, just because it was the thrill of the hunt, as they say. Um, now my hunting is done online, so I guess I get that thrill <laughs> someplace else. That's the thrill of making it more difficult on yourself, waiting for the thing to get super limited and then finally buying it. Oh yeah, that's another thing I've got. That that's the other other thrill I get. It's the roller coaster ride, where you know, yeah, especially uh, these site these nice sites now tell you how much are left in stock. Right. Just, just yeah. so they can amp up your anxiety. <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I appreciate I it. I, appreciate I have it. vinegar syndrome up as one of my tabs right now because I was looking at their, <laughs> uh, looking at the quantity on some of their uh, uh, partner label stuff. And I'm like, at what point do I pull the trigger? Do I wait for it to get under a hundred copies, play the real rush, the real rush there? Or do I just pull the trigger now? What, what do I do? Uh, but, you know, you find ways to make collecting exciting for you, I think. I think that's kind of the, the moral of the story. Um, because it is a very exciting thing, especially when you get that that edition that, you, that, right. that you've been looking for, or maybe that you've been hunting. There have been some movies and some editions that I've waited years to buy, literally years, and I finally get it. And it's like, it's, it's, a, hell of a, it's a hell of a good feeling. Really is. Um God, there's like 19 routes I want to take this conversation now after that because that was such a perfect answer. I do do that. I open up a lot of doorways. I'm well, let's step through one of them. Uh, the, the the clear one that I think is a really great stepping off point is we don't really talk a lot about how we choose what we buy. So for both of you, uh, obviously none of us can afford to get everything. How, how do you choose what, uh, what you're even going to purchase next month, what you're going to purchase right now, what movies are a must-have for your collection? Um, well, if you listen to the podcast, uh, you know that I'm a little bit of a box set whore. I'm a, I'm a box set whore. So a lot of times box sets, he catch my eye, you know, cause I like getting a, a, my bang for, you know, bang for the buck. I mean, like if you, if there's something that's really interesting and, you know, bringing up Severin again, their box sets have been amazing this year and everything that they come out with just hits that, that it tickles that funny bone of what I love like to discover so um yeah box sets a lot of times are things that i go after first but um you know it's it's all you know as we say it's the film's the central thing and you know i'll do my research on things that look interesting to me and if i find that it's interesting i go ahead and i may i'm not everything gets the pre-order but um and it depends on where i decide i'm going to buy it from 
Um, some, you know, we, we, we like to shop at Orbit DVD. They don't do pre-orders yet. They're talking about doing that in the future. But um, uh, so I have to wait for them to get their stock in. But the thing with Orbit is, is a lot of times their stock comes in early. So, yeah. so sometimes I'll wait on them. But a lot of times if I'm going ahead and making a decision, I'll, you know, specifically like Indicator. Like I, I think I go ahead and I pre-order Indicator right away because I'm just such a fan of them and uh and it's it's really just where my trust lies the most um you know i trust indicator as a label they don't fail me a lot so i get most of their releases right off the bat and um yeah i mean it's i think you just got to understand what you like you know you got to understand what your um your tastes are and also be okay with breaking some of your own rules like with what you think you might like and what you know just be open and do your i think do your research i think you should look into everything the internet is a wonderful place for that you can uh look into it see who directed the film see who's you know see if it sparks your interest make a decision with what money you have you have to be i think you have to be um responsible i think you know especially if you're people like us that have families um you have to be thinking about them while you're making these decisions and so I typically I'm going for something a lot of times that I think might be super limited that I think might run out fast. Um, I, I took that, you know, for instance, like Shaw Brothers last year, I thought was going to be something that went fast. Now, it didn't. It, they got they made so many of them that it's yeah. still in stock. We're it's a okay. year later. You can find them right. for the same exact yeah. price that you but paid for a year ago. But th- that's what I do. I'll, I'll, I'll make a judgment call on what I think might be something that is an addition I really want that's going to go fast. And I'll probably go ahead and snatch that, you know, snatch that up on a pre-order, or, or uh, within a couple weeks, go ahead and buy it. So it's, but yeah, it, it, you know, deciding what to buy can be difficult. There's things that hang around out there, and uh, you just gotta. I make lists. <laughs> I make lists on the side in my phone, like Same. remember this, because you're gonna want to come back to it. So yeah, and, and you know, you sometimes you do end up missing out on something, which is unfortunate. I think. Many of us have stories about missing out on something, whether it was something that was on sale for a ridiculously low price or whether it was something where uh, a website screwed up when it came to a technical aspect to where something dropped to a ridiculously low price and you still missed out on it. And then, uh, and then sometimes things are so limited that you miss out on them, you know, and then you have a, you have a, a good story to tell. My story here on the podcast used to always be, uh, what was it, Stephen, the Gamera Complete yeah, Collection. Yeah. The, the first release, the big the release big that box. I, the big box one. They since released them individually in two different box sets. You can get them. It's not the same. Don't lie to me on that. Um, <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> lie to yourself. It, 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 it's, and, you know, that's the one that always, you know, I always, you know, bemoan that I missed out on. Um, but, you know, you, like, I, you can find, you could still find things like that, but you got to pay an exorbitant oh, yeah. amount to get it. You know, and a ridiculous amount to get it. It all depends on what you have available to you financially and how badly you want something. Um, but I, I don't like to make rash, rash decisions when it comes to collecting. I'm way more patient than Steven. That used to be, that's kind of our yin yang um, <laughs> relationship when it comes to collecting. Steven was a pre order, um, instant pre order guy for, for a while since I, pretty much since I've known him. He's cooled down a lot over the last year or so. But, uh, I used to ask him, "Hey, did you did you hear that this? Did you see that this is coming out?" And he'd be like, "I already pre-ordered it." <clears throat> so it's yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, yeah, yeah. that." Uh, for me, I'm way more cautious, patient. Hence, why I do miss out on some things. 
Um, and I also wait to see <clears throat> the trends, you know. I know certain sites and certain labels we we tend to collect from do have sales rather around the same times every year. Uh, Indicator has the flash sale twice a year. Criterion has not only the flash sale on their website twice a year, but the 50% Barnes & Noble sale still happens every year, every July and every November. You know, I'm saying that because it could go away at any time. So far, rumors yeah. it going away. Let's hope it doesn't. But um, as of right now, it's supposed to still happen um, relatively soon, actually. Um, so this, this know, coming week, I believe. I believe it <laughs> starts Friday, the fourth. Yeah. yeah, so it's happening already. Um, so you know, I wait for that. Black Friday is another time if you want more mainstream stuff. Um, I always tell people Black Friday. If you want anything mainstream, <clears throat> like the mainstream blockbusters that came out this year, the Marvel stuff, superhero stuff, all that stuff's going to be cheap on Black Friday for yeah. the most part. So jump on that while you can if you can wait uh, because that stuff hardly ever goes on sale anymore, the more mainstream things. Um, but for me, collecting always comes down to the movie itself. You know, it. Is this a movie? Uh, one, is it a movie I know? Is it a movie I've seen? Is it a movie I've wanted to have seen? I've been waiting for this Blu-ray right. to finally come out. Um, and now I can finally get it. Uh, and is it something that I have in my collection already? And if I do, is this a better version of it? Um, if I don't, is this the best version than the previous version? You know, all those things pop in your head when you're a collector. Right. Um, and also, pricing is a thing as well. You know, uh, how expensive is this? Is this Blu-ray worth $40? Is this release worth $60? Sometimes you got to really take that into account because although this is a great release, you know, is this price really worthwhile for one movie? How much do you want to pay true. for one movie? That's why the box sets, you can kind of maximize your value. And I think that's what the allure of them is. You know, getting six movies for $60 or whatever the price may be is a pretty damn good value. Yep. You know, you're getting all those movies plus the extra features, plus and hopefully a a good quality, well designed, well packaged collection. Not not all of them are created equal uh, from from <laughs> everywhere, but you know, for the most part, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, so you got to you know factor in all those things. It's all about maximizing your value and and you know spending what you can and what you can't and being patient. I think. Um, and then, but of course, if you have the funds by all means go buy whatever the heck you want <laughs> you know by all means if you can do it you know we're only we're only here for a very short time you might as well uh go go full tilt go dial it up to 11 you know buy the heck whatever you want is is a really good way to transition into something that you guys have discussed previously on your show and uh i think may have been the first time that you guys brought up my show on your show which is when you discussed this ongoing conversation between collectors versus film fans and how perhaps there's a side of this that people are getting toxic about and that the whole limited edition allure might be a little toxic for people to fall into that trap uh since it's been a good six or eight months since that conversation how, how do you feel we're trending in, in that regard uh you know look i mean it's you know there there's i feel like there's always um two sides to, to something like this. I think like it's, you know, I, I, I think just, just like what you guys were trying to say, you know, in your, in your response to that video that you've, you know, you felt like that they were kind of 
turning collector into a negative thing. And, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't agree with, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, Aaron Pym, who was part of that initial conversation came on, talked with you. You kind of smooth things out, I think by the end of it. Um, but it's, it's, I do, I do think that, um, you know, we're getting so in that conversation gets semantics. It's like, do we want to call ourselves, you know, curators, you know, well, like you said, curators are also librarians, but like, you know, you have a library, you're also a curator of your library. It's like, you're getting like, who wants to call each other? What it's like, it doesn't, you know, let's not get into a name game, but what we all are film fans. And, and, uh, I think, you know, their worry is more about why people are buying these things and right. that they're not buying them because of the movies, but they're buying them because they're addicted to collecting. They're d- just hoarding things. Yep. And and I can see a side of that where I, I understand, you know, like I in a perfect world, I want people to love cinema and to talk about it and be doing this for the right reasons. But that's not everybody's situation. You know, not everybody is able to, you know, collecting is something that makes us feel good. And we're taking that, you know, we're doing this because it makes us feel good. And maybe we're suppressing something that's making us feel bad. That could be somebody's situation. Is that a bad, is that healthy all the time? No, but if it's making them happy, what are we to judge that? You know, like, um, and so, yeah, is it, can it be negative to impulsively buy a bunch of Blu-rays? And maybe you don't have really the, the means to do it. Maybe it's a little negative in that way, but I don't think it's a bad thing that people are trying to feel good about something that they love. And, um, you know, if, you know, I I don't think it's our place to like judge people's overall motivation of why they do things. If anything, then people are a gift to people like us that want this to keep going because if they're going to keep buying tons of Blu-rays, whether they watch them or not, they're helping keep this business alive. And so I have to thank them for that, but it's really not our place. You know, it's not my place to understand why he's doing, he's buying Blu-rays and I don't think he's watching them. You know, I don't right. think that, that's not my place to, I don't yeah. care. I'm, you know, I'm kind like of with you, Stephen. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, for me, I'm, I take a very liberal stance when it comes to um, movies and just what movies mean to people. Cause movies can mean so many different things to so many different people. Um, and I, I also think that movies can be kind of anything you want them to be. You know, they can be comfort. They can be educational. They can You can study them to learn from them. Uh, they could be on in the background while you do other things. They don't have, you know, they can, they can function in many different ways. And for me, you know, cinema, like I think I've said it a few times, where cinema is kind of always there to kind of pick from at any different era to where you can you can just go to it at any time it doesn't really matter when you get to it you get to it you know so even so with collecting i would say is almost the same thing um you know collecting just to collect um if you've got the space for it because i know a lot of us don't (laughs) um you know whether someone's watching all of these movies i don't really care (laughs) you know if you are good for you if you're not um, well, the thing is, is we know we're not. I know. I, well, I, I mean, know I'm buying well, stuff. Yeah, I've got stacks of stuff that I've been waiting a, a long time to watch, just yeah. because I haven't gotten around to it. There, I have. I also have this thing where there are some films that I know that I'm not ready yet to watch. It's some films that I'm not mentally prepared for to watch. Um, that I feel like for myself in my personal. Um, you know, history of knowing movies. Like, can I? Can I full, be fully? 
able to absorb this type of movie. Um, you know, like there are certain movies that I haven't seen yet, like uh, just something gigantic, like the human condition uh, is something yeah. I haven't watched yet. You know, there's the Criterion Blu-ray out of that that I've, I, you know, I've wanted to buy um, and I haven't, you know, I haven't bought it yet. You know, there are other films in my collection that I haven't watched yet because, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm quite at that point yet. And then there are other films that, because I've watched films that I'm not ready to watch yet and I'm like, I, I, I don't fully appreciate this yet. Like, for example, the first time I watched Eraserhead, I watched it about 10 years ago. I was just starting to get into, like, David Lynch and avant-garde and art house cinema. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and the movie, you know, you know, fractured my mind. <laughs> and then I would come back to it years later, having gone through, you know, this surrealist cinema kind of self-education of watching David Lynch, watching the people who influenced him, and then watching other surreal films. I'm now at a point where I could revisit Eraserhead, which we did for our podcast at one point, and I could be like, and I can better understand it. And, you know, so it all depends on, like, I'm, I'm trying to get a you know, long way around saying it really all depends on the individual and how they want to, you know, treat their cinematic lives. Uh, but the collecting aspect of it, um, I'm also kind of more free, free mind thinking of like anyone can kind of collect any way they want to, exactly. you know, whether it is all mainstream, all boutique, a mix of both, whether they want to still buy DVDs because DVDs, if you look at the financial economics of it all is still the highest selling physical format for movies is still DVDs. And, and we've moved way past the era where DVDs are a quality format for us to be watching. I know that's a little snooty, but that is that is the case, you know. Um just, and, you know, the Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, if we're if we're being if we're being super choosy about what we're buying, you know, like if I'm only buy if everybody was just buying what everybody thought was great cinema, we would We'd we would have stopped by now. We'd be gatekeeping ourselves, you know. Like, exactly. Gatekeeping is another thing where we're seeing yeah. that a lot now, specifically when it comes to deciding about what we want to see from which label or what we expect to see from which label. God, I'm so sick of hearing about. It. Like, I'm so and sick. It's of, like if a yeah. label releases um, a certain type of movie for a longest time. Let's say they only release old Hollywood stuff, and then they start releasing things that are different. People are like, "Oh, I wish they would release." those types of movies again yeah, and i'm yeah. like they're probably going to but it doesn't mean that they have to keep keep releasing those type of movies like i, I think i brought up indicator in our one of our recent episodes where i'm like people expected indicator to keep releasing the same type of movies that they were releasing and then now they're releasing more um you know more uh, you know deeper cut british cinema that people are not aware of and it's not going to be for everyone you know, and it, it's not going to even be stuff people have heard about. And it may not even be great movies, but they can release it because they have they have that prerogative and they have the ability to do it. And it doesn't mean that, you know, it, it, we, sh we shouldn't be like attacking them for that. You know what I mean? Or pushing back against that. Criterion, I know, gets a lot of that pushback with a lot of their selections because everyone views Criterion with a sense of prestige and a sense of honor where like, you know, this is they put out Citizen Kane. They put out the Red Shoes. Why would they put out, um, you know, some Princess of the other Pride? Films? Yeah, why would they put out? Yeah, Princess Pride got pushed back, and I'm like, how? <laughs> you know, Bull how? Durham. That yeah. was. I'm pretty sure Princess Bride was already in the collection to begin with. Yeah, it was a laser disc. Yeah, yeah. Vinegar I mean, Syndrome is getting a lot of that flack this year too because they're putting out bigger titles, and people are like, "Come on, where's our no-name horror?" And in all reality, 
putting out one copy of Roadhouse could sell enough for them to be able to put out 10 no-name horrors, so you should be all right with that. Yeah, it's like they're putting out, they just put out the uh, Amityville Horror, which is not a mainstream horror film, but it's a well-known pop culture horror film. And, you know, that's not the same as them putting out like something like The Mutilator or whatever it may be, you know, some of their more like deeper cut, you know, bigger scene It's not Six String Samurai, you know, it's not, you know. (laughs) Yeah, great movie. Which is amazing. It's one of the most underrated releases, by the way, that you guys should buy more of. I think it's one of their best releases. It's it's Uh, amazing. Uh, they, their whole their whole thing of kind of spreading out. But the thing is, they kind of spread out the love, though. That's what I kind of oh, love yeah. about Vinegar Syndrome is like they've got their main stuff, which is that their brand, as you say, and then they've got the partner label stuff, which does all the goods. <laughs> nice. Uh, then they've got their partner labels, which put out a diverse group of things. Then they've got like their VSAs and their VSU, and now their VS, and then then now their VSPs, Vinegar Syndrome production. It's the yeah. whole alphabet. Well, yep. put out like anything you can want from a like dirty adult films from the 70s to like horror films from you know now right. you know they put out like everything yeah yeah, yeah it's it's and, and, and there's a there's enough of this diversity to go around i think for everyone to be satisfied yeah. you know it, and if if you don't like what a, one company's put out one month chances are that they may put out something you like the next Just month because yeah. this stuff is this stuff moves just being in it um, it's like I can't believe. Oh, we're talking about this same company again. I felt we just talked about them. The move, this stuff moves so fast. Well, and the pandemic alone has shown us how many things can be delayed and delayed and delayed. And there's so many titles that should have been released, sometimes literally a couple of years ago, and just because of elements or rights issues or something else getting, uh, you know, I mean, Martin, perhaps... Martin got pushed for many so many times. I mean, just trying to get. I that mean, the full... Hitcher. There's we we Hitcher. talked about the Hitcher early on in our show and we're still waiting for that i don't think we're going to get until it's going to be early next year i think maybe hopefully i'm hoping but uh yeah i mean it's and and to put it you know to cat you know to get back to the that initial conversation you know ultimately i think like i said like you don't we don't need to judge other people's collecting habits i think people as as that that term influencer it's our job to do what you know to say our piece and if we can influence people to maybe be be more open minded and maybe like, you know, like our point of view, then that's great. But if they don't, that's okay. That's the part of if you're not having open conversations about your habits and your your collecting and all that stuff, then you're not somebody that really needs to be part of a community. That's not what only a community that, but is, is. I think that just uh, not to get too broad of a subject, but it it's kind of like the internet culture of itself. If you don't like something that you see or so, or, so, or that someone says. You can kind of move on, like the life is so fluid, fluid where things are constantly moving forward. Where like, just just go, you know what I mean? Like if you say like, oh, like oh, I don't like Vinegar Syndrome because they put out bad movies. Okay, <laughs> but move sure. on to the next okay. one. Doesn't change anything. <laughs> just, yeah. Like what do I do with that information? It's like, all right. I mean, you can Thank try you for to, telling you can try me. to convince I... them. You can try to have a conversation and influence them otherwise, but most of the time on the internet, that's kind of hard to yeah, do. Yeah, it's like, how, how, why would I waste my time trying to change this person's mind? Because True. chances are you're not going to, whether it's politics, whether it's cult, certain cultural things, whether it's certain, you know, hu- humanistic type rights things. If people are entrenched with their opinion, chances are it's been, it's been in there for a long time. Changing someone's mind about a lot of things is really difficult and sometimes it's just not worth the energy because you got to focus on more more positive things and probably focus on 
things that are more important to you as a person. Uh, even with movies, like I would rather, I would rather just move on. Like if someone tells me that they don't like a certain movie, good for you. I let me go watch. I want to watch something else. I got too many movies to watch, too many movies to buy, too many movies to collect again. This is why we don't pay attention to a community as much. I don't. Talk, yeah, I don't. I don't got time for this. <laughs> I'm, this is I'm, too much work. I'm not here for a long time. <laughs> I'm here for a short time, and I, it's got to be about movies. And I'm here for a good time. So to make it good, I'm going to do what I want. That's that's kind of the basis of the whole thing. This is my party, and I'll do what I want. I'm sorry, that's yeah, not the song. Especially but... something as personal as what you're. As what <laughs> and you're I'll crying. cry if I want to. Yeah, yeah. is that the yeah. is that the song? Either yeah, way, it works. I, I remember that from Problem Child. Talk about an early. We're going back to what you were saying about an early film that I watched a lot. Yeah, uh, those Problem Child Problem movies. Child. Same. Yeah. We we are very much of the same era. Uh. All right, let, let's go one more big question. Something that both of our shows share a lot, other than the announcements, are these interviews. And both of our groups are kind of making the, these these interviews really special for a lot of people. Uh, what are been, what are been, uh, I'm getting tired. What have been some of the more standout interviews for your guys? And what is something that really happened in one of these interviews that made you go, damn, this is, this is turning into a real thing? Mm. Andrew. You want to oh, start? You want to go with me first? Uh, for me, um, getting to get, I mean, I'll start general and then go more micro. Uh, generally, getting to talk to people that I've never thought I would ever get to talk to on such a, about such a personal thing as movies or movie yeah. collecting has been incredibly satisfying for me. Like, I've never in a million years thought I would talk to um, Eddie Muller. Eddie Muller from TCM was my biggest, probably my biggest interview, biggest highlight, I think, for our show so far, just because, um, you know, TCM, I, I first got into TCM, oh, a few, like several years ago, I was much later to that, that area than, than a lot of other people. And then once I got to that area, I, I fully dove into classic cinema. I love classic cinema, um, old Hollywood movies from you know 30s 40s 50s 60s you know all that kind of stuff i'm a history buff so i love all that stuff and getting to talk to someone who's so close to that stuff you know um being the czar of noir loving noir so much and you know going from seeing him doing his hosting duties on tcm to getting to talk to him in person about movies is just something that i never thought i'd be able to do a few years ago never thought i'd be able to do it yeah steven yeah, it's it's tough, man. It's like it's a, it's one of the things where you don't want to like point out necessarily because I I think I I think for the most part, almost every interview we've done has been very rewarding mm-hmm. in some way. Um, and uh, you know, and they all bring different things. You know, some you get into real deep conversations about just your favorite movies. And then sometimes it's, it's, you know, we, we get, it, it becomes more technical. You know, we're talking about the industry a little bit more. Um, one of my favorite ones that always comes back to me is, is actually one of our early ones. And that's with uh, collaborator, Justin Beam. And he had a lot of good stories about, you know, him working with, uh, D- you know, Dick Miller when he passed and then him doing a commentary uh, with Roger Corman working on that commentary and just, 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 his that was a great one. Justin Beam's just such a he was just such a great guest. Yeah, we, and, um, he geeked out about Halloween because he had worked on a lot yeah. of Halloween releases, and Halloween's like a, a favorite horror franchise of mine. He was he was great. Um, him talking about going through like like just dropping in conversation, um, going through a McDonald's drive-through with Roger Corman. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> like, come, like, like, like how, how real? Will you buy me some fries? Oh, uh, like, please, you know. yeah, or just talking about what well, he was talking about, Vincent Price, and um, how he was talking, he was talking about Alice Cooper. Yeah, you know, and just like he just the casualness of that, as if like, yeah, all of us get to talk to Alice Cooper. <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, I think he it, knows that that it's awesome, but it's just like it's you know when you hear people talk, any of these guys that you know we either get an interview or they talk about people they know, it's just like we're we're so like we're so close. Yeah, like, like how many so steps? Close- are, how many steps are we away from that person? You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we've been very fortunate that I think all of our guests have been great. Yeah. We've never had a guest that's been Same. difficult. We've never had a, gra- a guest that didn't bring something, um, you know, to the table that was fun and exciting, that added to our show, added something informative, or that we've gotten to, you know, give to our audience something else other than ourselves. You know what I mean? Uh, I think everybody's been able to, you know, bring something to our show that we could then, you know, pass on to our audience. Um yeah, and a lot of that, I would say, a lot of that is Steven. Steven is the one who does all the communication with people. Um, I'm, I I don't like to talk to people in general, so Steven's the one who does all the talking. <laughs> he's he's the face of the organization, essentially. It's, it's you know, I he knew... Take, we, he I, takes some swings. He takes some swings. It's And, and Ryan knows this. He does the same thing. Uh, it, it's just about, you just got to try. Uh, like you just reach it out to people. It's that simple. You know, you and get you lucky. Sometimes you don't. And um, you just got to be motivated. You just got to try every avenue you can. Keep yeah. your, 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 you know, your ears to the ground. Look, 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 keep an eye. Twitter's just, it's an amazing thing about Twitter is you can connect with people pretty easily through there if they're willing. Uh, some people, you know, block out their own DMs and stuff like that. But you, you can, you can make friends in different ways and, and uh, you just got to be motivated. And, um, you know, you got, you know, you got to, you know, you know, look at, you know, one of our main things about having guests is to make sure that we're highlighting the people behind these releases that we love so Certainly. much. And, um, you know, that's just the big, I think that's the biggest pleasure about doing yeah. it is, is having a Cat Ellinger, uh, you know, high, you know, making sure that that name gets put out there that, I mean, tons of people know that name, but we want to help our help reinforce it as much as we can. And, uh, you know, that's the greatest thing we can do is just is just hopefully the the small sh- amount of people that listen to us can help spread somebody's name, spread somebody's work just a little bit more and hope that it will help help people buy it. You know, yeah, you really, know. It, it makes the if anything, I think I've said this many times on our show, it makes the the releases or these these movies or these Blu-rays, these, you know, these things that you you put your money on, it it makes them more, you know, more valuable if you yes. know who's who's behind yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like you want to support those people. You know, like whether it is someone who does the the layout design, whether it's somebody who's the cover art for some of these releases, whether it's Agreed. somebody who worked on the extras. It's like you, you get you put a face to all these kind of faceless things, and you're yeah. like, damn, these are these are like, and not only that, not only that. They're regular people working a job. Right. They're not like they're not part of some corporate machine that's you know that that, that you that that is quote unquote Hollywood or anything like that. They're just working from like one job to the other. They're freelance for the most part for many of them. Uh, you know, you do get some people who do work you know within a Severin within a Vinegar Syndrome. They're there, but a lot of these people are freelance and just kind of picking up jobs wherever they can. You know, using their craft, and then you get to see 
like their effort that go into it. And you get to also see that they're kind of like us. They're film fans. That's where it all starts. Yeah. It all starts for the love of it, movies. It, I, I look at it as when we do these interviews, we're doing the special features for the special features. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. 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 And so, I think Kat Ellinger one time said that she has 25 part-time jobs. Yeah. And people don't realize how much that is true for a lot of these. I mean, Kat... Kat literally just recently directed a full-blown documentary. She wrote it. She edited it. She is doing special features. She's doing visual essays. She's doing commentaries. She just started another podcast. That type of person deserves all the credit, and they don't usually get that sort of spotlight. So yeah. your guys' group and my group, I, I mean, the, the amount of time and effort that we're putting into it is worth it because a lot of these people are, are genuinely special. And I don't know if it's true for you all, but for me, a lot of the stuff that has made it special for me is the off-air conversations. We'll get oh, done with yeah. the recording. Uh, like Brad Henderson from Vinegar Syndrome, he, first of all, everybody knows he is a talker. But he... Uh, he, knows. he knows he's a talker. Yeah. He did my Thursday show, and we talked for about three and a half hours, and we're like, all right, that's done. Have a good night. Thanks for talking. And we just sat there for another hour, another full-on hour just discussing things. And it was just a beautiful time to, to learn more about somebody that you like and respect their output and get to know them as a person. And it's just it's special and it brings this era of humanity to these releases that you don't get anywhere else really yeah and that's the thing too that boutique labels just really do a lot is it gives it it's it's caused us to focus on that stuff more and now you know because when we when you talk about mainstream releases we're not looking like who did the commentary on this unless it's something really special but like these boutique labels have have right. made it a thing that they make sure they list everybody that's been involved in making this release and you're like okay so i know your name now and now i can go find you maybe on social media and we can have a conversation that's something that most mainstream releases are not they don't yeah. care about they're not you putting booklets in their in their releases and, and then you telling can you see what those other people have you can see what those people have worked on and you can go back and be like, oh, yeah, I have this in my collection. Or, oh, I've been wanting to get that. Now it maybe puts more emphasis on you wanting to get a certain release. Um, for me, I'm always someone who's incredibly indecisive about buying things. So any little decision that can sway me, I take into account. Like I will go to like our friend Scott Saslow, who does a lot of the layouts and a lot of the artwork and stuff like that. I'll go to his site and look at what he's what he's put out and be like, hey, you know, what do I want to buy myself for Christmas? What do exactly. I want to buy myself for a birthday? You know, let me maybe this will this will help me decide what I want to buy. Um, or it's something like Sister Hyde, um, who just won an award for her uh poster for Bodies, 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 the movie yeah. that just came out from A24. Um, and it's just like you, you meet all these people and you realize they're a lot closer to the things you love than you realize. You just they, they just don't get the spotlight that that Great. they should probably get. Well, uh, I think that's a good transition then. Speaking of things that don't get enough spotlight, let's talk about an upcoming collaboration between Steven from Chasing Labels and myself. And let's talk about what we have on our docket. Steven, you want to do an introduction? Oh, sure, man. I, do, I, I guess. I guess. I, once again, I got to introduce something. Hopefully, I get everybody's Come name on. right. No, that's good. Uh, so here we go. Uh, so me and, you know, this was a few months back ago. Uh, I, I had the thought in my mind that... Um, and it's something that I kind of done with my previous, my YouTube channel. We'd done our own Academy Awards uh, for, you know, mainstream things. And so I was like, look, we need to do this for, for discs. You know, Blu-rays need their own award show and we need to be on a level that I think everybody will really appreciate it. And so one of the first names that came into my mind was Ryan because I knew Ryan was a motivated guy 
um, hardworking guy. And, you know, he does, he, he's in the YouTube space. I'm not really in the YouTube space anymore. So he's going to be the guy that can help, you know, help this come, come together. And so I reached out to him funny enough at the same time, he was like, I was just talking about doing this with somebody else. Yeah. And, uh, then it, from there it just bloomed, it's bloomed into a wonderful working and, and, and French slowly becoming a, a great friendship, I think. And, and, uh, we, you know, it's always daunting to work with somebody, especially when you're not able to work with them in person, work with them and wonder if you're going to mesh well. Um, and I think I, I speaking for myself, I think so far it's been going pretty well. I, I would say so. I mean, yeah. we both have our, our ups and downs and we're, we're doing pretty well with the whole thing. And I am beyond excited to see how the community reacts to this. So let's get into some details. The first thing, uh, we needed to come up with a decent name. So we are calling our upcoming award show the Shelf Shock Rewind 2022, the Disc Awards. And uh, the big the big date that we're all looking forward to is this is not going to be an award show until February because... There's still a lot of discs that come out in December and, and November. Uh, a lot of the, the November, November Vinegar Syndrome stuff people won't have until perhaps the end of December if you're not a subscriber. So we're going to be able to vote on some of these releases all the way through the middle of January so that we can do this the right way. Uh, what else What else would you like to share with the community on this? Well, uh, you know, so, you know, at this point right now, um, I guess we could share that that a starting a voting date would be December 15th. I think we're working towards that date. We want to give you as much time as you can to, to get from voting, starting a voting, which will last about a month uh, going into the next year. So we will keep voting going into next year. And um, you know, at this point right now, we, what we've decided to do when it comes to deciding about nominations um, is that we decided to form kind of a, uh, a committee. Um, that we're calling the Creators Selection Committee. And this committee is made up of tons of uh, contributors, producers, and you know other you know content creators around the industry of boutique labels, whether it be podcasters or YouTubers. And so right now we have, a, 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 I think, a good you know, 50 or so members uh, in our first year so far. And uh, we think that that will be uh, a good start, I think, for helping come up with great submissions for nominees and um, narrow it down so that that we can we can vote on it. And uh, along with voting, we will also give everybody an option to write in their favorites. So um, any anything else more to that you think we should we should talk about? Uh, each of our categories, which are numerous, we are believe settling around 25 are going to be the yeah. number of categories. And uh, each of our categories is going to have a winner for the creator's choice and a winner for the community. So you can see the difference in the people that put their time and energy into making these things for us or talking about them or being a creator in some form. They're going to have a winner. And also the community at large will have a winner. And we'll see how many of those mesh. We'll see how many of those are different. And uh, uh, for me, I'm looking forward to just the data behind that because I'm, I'm that type of a person. I, I get nerdy about it. I, I can't wait to see how everybody responds to this. It is an, an incredible, incredible feeling just to look back on the amount of stuff that has been released this year to know that this is genuinely going to be a daunting choice for a lot of these categories. And some of these categories, because you should be prepared for some of the things that you might be talking about. We've got things like Best Classic Film Release, which is uh, for a film that was released before 1940. 
best home video presentation overall. We got best uh, extras packages like visual essay, best commentary, best interview. We got best horror release, best box set, all culminating into best overall release, which is going to be our version of the best picture. And uh, that night is going to be exciting because we're going to be doing a live show. We're going to be presenting some of these things to the community with you all being involved in the comments at the exact same time. We might have guests on to come and share some of the nominees and some of the, the votes and what has won. Perhaps if they volunteer, we might get some of the people that have won to be able to make an appearance that night and talk about that release. There's a lot of stuff we're working on, and it's going to be so interesting behind the scenes to watch it all come together. And I just I can't wait to see how everybody responds. Yeah, I think that's the most exciting thing is is that um, we're we're getting really you know the more the further along we do this, the more you know the more closer we get to voting and like um, and sharing it with more people. We're getting really excited to share it with everybody else. And um, yeah, I mean it's. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how the you know the first year of anything is going to be always like, you know, growing pains. There's going to be things that you may be made decisions on that you don't like. Um right. and there might be things that get nominated that you don't like or things that didn't get nominated that you know you're upset about. That happens with any any award show. Um but we hope that um ultimately the big thing that we're trying to and I think any award show really strives to do is to have a perspective on getting able to uh, show show as many different you know releases as possible, show off as many different releases as possible, and uh, that's why we have a committee. You know, that's why we have a committee with all different likes and dislikes, and they're all you know, all these committee members are all coming from different backgrounds and different tastes, and we're going to have a lot of different nominees for you to choose from. And then, like I said, you write in for what you like if you don't like our selections. No so, matter what, but we have to have a starting point. So. The nominees will be there and I, and yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, it's like you said, daunting, but the challenge is really fun. It's a really fun thing to try to do something like this with a whole bunch of people. And when you get a whole bunch of people to do one thing, it's, it can be beautiful. It can be, this could end up being a really fun thing that we do every year for a while, you know, but it's important to participate in that first one. So make sure you spread the word. Uh, get everybody involved as you can. We're going to be reminding people throughout the entire process when it's time to vote, when the vote is coming due, what you can do to help. And we'll have like copy that you can share. We'll have promo pictures, everything that we can just to get the word out. Because without that, it's going to just be a bust. And I think that this is something that if it goes well enough and reaches enough circles, this could be something that we look forward to every single year. And, and it could I, get better. It would get better, you know, with, with, the, with, you know, who's, who's, you know, who's going to be presenting. We could get more people involved presenting. We can get more people, we get more of the labels maybe involved in wanting to even maybe accept the awards and acknowledge them yeah. if they like it enough, you know? So that's things to think about. And um, yeah. So ultimately, you know, I just can't wait to just share it with you guys, and I hope you guys like what we do with it. And if you don't like it, you can tell us, and we'll we won't cry on screen, but we might cry off screen, just so you know. So as we said, Shelf Shock Rewind 2022. Keep in mind, this will be February 19th, and we are going to be doing voting from December 15th through January 15th. More to come on that front, but it's an exciting thing to look forward to. And I think that's our show. 
Andrew, Stephen, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. Chasing Labels, all of the links will be in the description below. Is there anywhere else you guys would like to, to pitch out there? Is uh, e either anything for the, the podcast or for you guys personally? Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, all the normal places. We got a Facebook group, um, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And we're also, just to, just to, to highlight it, you know, usually at the end of the year, me and Andrew take a, a couple-week break, you know, for, for the holiday season. We'll probably be out for the end of the last two weeks of the year. But then when we come back for the new year, we will be having uh, Jesse from Diabolic DVD to join us. And we're going to be doing our favorite releases of 2022. So nice. you might get a little bit of a sneak peek of what I might be voting on. Uh, in our first year of Shell Shock <laughs> Rewind. I don't know. <laughs> You'll see. We had to jump the gun on that one. Uh, uh, well, you know, what am I going to do? We got to do our best, our favorite. That's true. Year, so. That's true. I mean, yeah. tw 2022 is such an interesting year, chock full of releases to the point where I really need to take a hard look and inventory about what has actually come out this year. Because 2021 and 2022 for me keep mashing together in terms of oh, yeah. when things have come out. Because it feels like there's so much great stuff we've gotten over the last two years. Very, very true. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for your time. As I said, I, I've respected you guys for a long time. It's been a big honor to have you here. And I just hope more people pay attention because it's all about the love and the community for stuff like this. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Well, Thank as you. usual, I would say from one collector, but from three collectors to all of you, have a good night. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.